0: Welcome to episode 149 of a love food podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for connecting today. And as you move along your food peace journey, which probably includes things like throwing away the scale, rejecting diets and diet culture, and really trying to connect with your hunger and fullness. And using that to help you decide what to eat instead of just another diet plan that is destined to fail, because they do, for most people. You know you're not alone. You're not this exception to the rule. Rather, you are the rule. Most people aren't able to keep weight off long-term. Yet you may have, and I say may, but you probably have really Come to this place where you connect with your own desirability to be only at a smaller weight. Certainly one of the big kind of stumbling blocks along a food peace journey for many people I talk to is really finding a way to connect with being at home in their own skin outside of what their body looks like. And that can be quite a journey because culturally that's just not where our world is. And for many people, they have support in their life, like their family, their partner or friends who've communicated unconditional love. Yet I know for you or someone listening, that's not the case. Maybe your partner has communicated that, I just don't like the way you look when you're larger, or it's harder to be wanting to be intimate with you when you're in a larger body. Do you get that feedback? think that's so tough. And I have a letter to share with you today from someone who's going through just that. They've had a really bumpy relationship with food their whole life. And now they're married to someone who says they only really desire them when they're at a smaller weight. And that's keeping them in this binge eating cycle because they appreciate their body doesn't want to be smaller. Their body just can't do that. I can't wait to share with you this letter because again, I feel like it's a really common experience. And I also get to share with you someone I just met. Her name is Dr. Jillian Murphy. She's a naturopathic doctor out of Canada and she has some really incredible insight that I think you're going to find useful and you probably haven't heard before. And before we get to this episode's letter and from hearing from Dr. Murphy, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. I have a course for those of you who are affected by PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I know you've been told you have to diet in order to manage this condition, and you have tried everything under the sun to do just that, yet found that it doesn't work for you. You know, you're not alone. Like I said earlier, diets don't work for most people. And so I want to help you to find a way to manage your PCOS without diets and promote health. Yes, you can do that. I also have a course, if you're a registered dietitian and you also want to help people do this, I have a course for you. So go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com or if you're a dietitian, go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians and you can get all the info. Have you heard of Third Wheeled? It's a social media advocacy platform that raises awareness of eating disorders in LGBTQ plus community. Started by a queer couple whose writing addresses the intersectionality of eating disorders and body image, including gender dysphoria, a queer identity, trauma, and gender identity expression. CJ and OJ provide a dual perspective of eating disorder recovery through the lens of a non-binary person in recovery and of a non-traditional family carer who just happens to be a registered dietitian. CJ and OJ would love to work with eating disorder professionals on cultivating inclusive treatment for eating disorders in LGBTQ communities and are available to discuss training, webinars, and speaking engagements. You can follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ThirdWheeled or email them at info I'm going to spell third just in case it doesn't translate very well verbally. And it's T H I R D W H E E L E D. So it's thirdwheeled.com. All right. Enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter and hear from Jillian Murphy. At Parker, our purpose
1: is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.
0: I have always had a tumultuous relationship with you. When I was a child, I was alone a lot with books and used you as my companion when I read. I read a lot. Now, when I look back, I really was just in a normal kid-sized body. However, I was teased, not in a cruel way, but in a loving way by people close to me. My mother, sister, and later brother-in-law all called me chubby, a normal kid would have just laughed this off, but I was a very sensitive child and took things to heart. For a long time as a child, I thought I was ugly. As a teenager, I finally understood that I could react to this teasing by controlling how much I ate of you food. And by doing that, I got compliments and felt beautiful. Then came the college years, and I found I needed to control you even more. Because now I was one of the one responsible for buying and eating you. I had very low self-esteem as a child, and I did not know how to be around boys. In college, I dated a guy I had a huge crush on who acted like he was doing me a favor by starting our relationship by saying, quote, okay, we can date, but you need to lose weight, unquote. I bent over backwards for this relationship. Did a lot of yo-yo dieting in those years when I would lose a ton of weight by severely restricting you food, then get into a happy place and forget about dieting while gaining weight. I finally left this boyfriend and moved to another country. I met my future husband and for a couple years was very happy and comfortable around you food. I thought I was in heaven because for the first time in my life, I had found someone who truly did not see my weight and saw me as a person. I am sure I gained weight in those years, but it didn't seem to affect our relationship. However, it didn't last long. My now husband has been the cruelest critic of all with the most influence over my eating habits and weight because of how close we are. He has told me he's not attracted to my body. We've had big fights and little ones over my weight and my eating, and he thinks if I truly loved him, I would lose weight for him. Over the last 20 years of us being together, 17 years of marriage, two kids, and many of life's milestones. I have developed a serious binge eating problem. I hide and eat your food. I no longer feel comfortable eating what I want in front of anyone, even at work when I'm away from the judging eyes of my husband. As soon as I finish one meal, I'm thinking or looking for my next one. Even when I'm not hungry, I am still buying and eating you in secret. I no longer have any willpower against you food and have not been able to diet or lose weight, even five pounds for the last 10 years. Over the last year, as I turned 40, I have been doing different things like meditation, journaling, reading blogs, and listening to podcasts to get a better control and understanding of my mind. I've begun to slowly open my mind to the concept that it was never you food, but rather how I thought about myself, and my body that was the problem. My question is this. My husband and I have been to therapy a few times, and my weight and his issues with it have always come up. He has always been adamant that he is not trying to be cruel, but that he just is not attracted to someone who is overweight. A quick search on the internet shows there are thousands of men out there just like him, I know that my desire to please him may have started me down this path of hiding and eating, but I now have internalized it and taken it to a whole new level that is all my own. Is my only option to leave him and try to rebuild my life? We don't fight about my weight anymore, but we also are not intimate or loving. We have two kids, and he is a great dad. I feel I owe it to him to stay in this relationship. How can I build a better relationship with you, food, when I have someone in my life who doesn't believe in this approach? Sincerely, trying a new way without support. What a long road you have traveled, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. And here's the thing. Your experience is definitely unique in your own like life story, but there are so many people who are experiencing just what you describe. They're in a similar relationship with a partner who is giving them that same feedback. I can't wait to dive into some different options for you to explore your process of healing. What we're going to do now is give Jillian Murphy a call. She's a doctor of naturopathic medicine in Canada And she works with a lot of people who have similar life experiences. So let's hear what Jillian has to say. Hello. Hey, Jillian, it's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? Hi, I'm
1: great. How are you doing? I'm
0: doing really great and it's so nice to talk to you and I'm wondering if you had a chance to check over the letter that I sent you.
1: Oh my gosh, yes, I read the letter. I think I read it four times. Oh, good. It's We're so ready. interesting and so many um really big moments in that letter, I think. So much. Like
0: there's so much heartbreak and so oh, much yeah, that I, this I, person I, I has live. done. Oh, I, yeah. I,
1: I, I, well,
0: and I feel like that's one of the things that I was connecting with is like this person's story is unique. It's it's this writer's story. And there's so many people that I know who are listening who are like, holy shit. Like I experienced the same thing like in the, as a child or in my relationship with my partner. So I'm excited to dive in because I think not only will it help the letter writer, but I think it'll help other people too. Wow. Um, and when you were reading through it, you know, the first few times, like what was your... What was your general impression about what this person's experiencing?
1: Well, you just, I feel like you actually just like nailed it exactly what my first impression was as well, which is like the first thing is so heartbreaking and unique in the challenges that she's facing, but also like one of the most, unfortunately, unoriginal stories around, which is basically, you know, you slowly learn over time that your body's wrong. It's not meeting cultural standards. And then you're also very slowly trained on how to use food as a tool or like maybe more appropriately a weapon against your body. And then slowly over time, almost inevitably, there's this place you land in where you you have a really fraught, anxious, reactive relationship with food in your body. Um, and I don't say that to minimize the experience because it's big. I just say it to normalize it. Like how many women have that have that experience? But then also, like you said, there's this added layer for this, for this person of now being in a place where, um, she's struggling in her relationship and that's, Mm -hmm. it's just so huge because she's not the only piece of the puzzle now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see like a, almost like a crossroads, like this person is connected to something that speaks truth for their recovery and yet not getting the feedback from their partner that, you know, this is something that they really should do, like not getting that support. Like I can almost see the fork in the road. (laughs) Right, well, I'm
1: sure you've experienced this as well, but there are a few really major objections that I feel like every woman comes to this problem with when it comes to like accepting their body and learning to actually enjoy living in the body that they're in. And one of the biggest ones is the judgment of others. And the fact of the matter is it's a fear because it's real, because Mm -hmm. we live in a world that does discriminate against size. In this situation, it's the most tricky because it isn't just the culture or the world or theoretical. It's like the person, one of the people who should love you the most unconditionally is affirming this fear. Like you don't just have to get over it (laughs) as an idea. You have to get Mm -hmm. over it for real. Like you have to somehow, you know, face this fear head on and, and authentically find that place of strength within yourself.
0: Right. Like this person doesn't feel at home even in their own home.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm. mm. other really interesting thing that jumped out at me is that she really clearly describes both sides of size meaning she's very deeply felt discriminated by her partner and the general world about her body and the size that she's in now but she's also felt the thin privilege right like she she has that history of remembering what it feels like to like Even if it's at her own expense, her own mental, emotional, and physical expense, her body would sort of like behave when she treated it the way, you know, manipulated it. And so she kind of remembers what that felt like, which not everyone has that experience, right? How do
0: you see that complicating things? Because I I I hear what you're saying and I'm wondering, yeah, what what's your point of view
1: on that? Like, how does that make it it tricky? I, I think it's just an extra obstacle to accepting the body you're in now. Like if you can remember, you know, if you are someone, so for instance, I've never experienced really major size discrimination because I'm a medium sized woman, but I've also never, like my body was also never super idealized. And so I don't really have that memory, but I know that many of the women that I work with that do have that memory, find it very difficult, like to let go of the dream or the perfect body fantasy that life would just be so much better and easier if they could get back there. They romanticize it, like, even when we have to, like, really deeply dig and go through exactly how they were living their life at that time to help them remember all of the things mm-hmm. that they were sacrificing and giving up and all of the, the collateral damage that was being caused potentially at that time if their body was a result of them dieting,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that I really appreciate that you're saying that not everyone will, I guess, admit is that um, that judgment, like the people judging um, a person's body size, I think, especially early on in my career, I can remember myself being like, that's just something that you are thinking or that's in your head basically. But you know, it it really is real. Like that fear is real because hello, like this world is not accommodating to different types of bodies. And um, you know, when I hear you saying about someone who's connected within privilege, They really have to sit with, I got to let that go. Like, in order to really heal, I have to be willing to let that go and not. um, And what does that mean? I mean, that's going to mean a lot of different things, probably things for her children. It's going to mean, you know, um, just so many. I could, like, that taps into so many different things.
1: And it becomes a decision. Yeah. I think for me, um, uh, it becomes a decision between what you, it becomes about what you want most, yeah, you know? And it, and it's like, I often say, cause sometimes at some point in the process, a woman will say to me, but I could just go back to that old way of doing things. And in her case, I doubt that she could, you know, some mm-hmm. women get to the point where they're so reactive that even the thought of going back is enough to trigger them into a binge, yes. which it seems like that's where she is. Mm-hmm. Some women can still go back there, but they remember the collateral damage. And so they're in this like tug of war, right. Of like, should I go back and get the social privilege at my own expense? Or do I go for peace? And it's like, it really, truly, I I just say you're an adult and you get to decide, but you need to decide from a place of knowing. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to lay it out for you over and over and over again, what you're giving up, what you're sacrificing and the potential detriment to your health. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not here to force you to do anything you can choose. Um, but it becomes about what you want most. Do you want peace? with food in your body? Do you want to genuinely accept your body? Do you want to belong because you belong because people accept you for who you are? Or do you want to fit in, which is people never really seeing the true you mm-hmm. and you doing everything to accommodate the opinions and thoughts and feelings of others at your own expense? That's the choice you're making. And you can make that choice because you're a grown-up. You know, In this case, again, I think it's it, it actually is at a point where Um, she probably doesn't even have that choice because the reactivity from her body is Mm -hmm. so strong that she can't overcome it. And again, she seems to take responsibility for that. And I feel like, oh my gosh, like that is exactly where so many people end up when they try to restrict and deprive for a long time. Right,
0: yeah, like she's saying, I don't have willpower, you know, things like that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like your body is just trying to survive like after all of that torture. And I think too um, about like the violence Against our bodies um, from dieting. And the name of the person who originally brought that concept to me is um, Rachel Cole. She's the person that I first heard talk about that, like how dieting is a violent act on the body. And so I see um, so many people that I work with as they're trying to heal a relationship with food and they're experiencing binging, they'll often talk about like how I, I can't diet anymore, or that even the thought of it will bring on a binge, like you said. And I think it connects with that part of it, how it's been a trauma
1: and the body's like just trying to stay safe, you know? Absolutely. It's in self-preservation mode. Self-preservation. And and we can never override that biological drive to survive. Yes. Our ancestors have prevented that. Yeah, Right. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, I love this. And I think this is so important. And I'm so glad you named these because um, it really puts the blame where it needs to go instead of an individual's shoulders, you know, this person is, has so much of a burden on her own, you know, shoulders, like I was saying, and, and it really doesn't belong there. Like these are big cultural
1: things. And right, like, she's responsible for the food issues she's having. She's responsible for her body and weight. She's responsible for her husband's feelings about desirability, you know, it's like, whoa, you are taking way too much responsibility. Yes. personal responsibility. Totally. Yeah.
0: Well, before we move on to like some steps for this person to take, do you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share about like what you experienced reading this or are you ready to move on to the next step?
1: I feel like I want to jump in only because because this is a relationship. Mm-hmm. There's like two paths mm-hmm. of, in terms of steps, right? Mm-hmm. There's two individual paths at play here. And I feel like, if we want to do it in time, we got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do
0: it then. So what are the steps that you see since you see two different paths?
1: Right. So I feel like, you know, as in any relationship, you know, not, there's not one person that is going to, that owns this, this problem, right? There's going to be like a path for her and a path for him. If the goal is to reconnect and stay together. the first thing that jumped out at me when it came to the question about their relationship and what's happening um, the first thing that popped up was this idea that they'd already been to therapy, and so one thing I just wanted to say, and I want to say it carefully so that I don't offend anyone, is that if the therapist that they saw was not super highly trained in body acceptance and body positivity, body positivity, and if that therapist hasn't done the major work to like extricate themselves from diet culture, they will have a very hard time truly helping. Does that make sense? Oh, in this yes. Case? Yes, Because this is something I bump up against all the time, is that when it comes to a situation like beauty and body and desirability, I mean, how do you, how do you dig into the major deep issues if you still buy into them on mm-hmm. some level, even if it's really subconscious, right? And mm-hmm. so I would say that they don't necessarily want to give up on therapy just yet, <laughs> or write it off as like, therapy will never work, but they may need to find someone who is better equipped to deal with this specific problem.
0: Right. I think that's so important. It, it it highlights like how important for any therapist who's listening to be sure that they've attended to their own fat phobia and they've really taken some time to study, like even just outside of body positivity, but weight inclusive care and, um, how to support clients at, um, with different types of bodies, you know, And, and, um, because, yeah, they're really not going to be doing the relationship work if there's that focus on, oh, yeah, your body is wrong. Oh, yeah, the health part, you know, or even right. anything. Exactly. It's not really exactly. going to get
1: to the root of any kind of relationship stuff. So Or not fully understanding this connection between the dissatisfaction with her body and the way that her husband is continually reflecting it back to her mm-hmm. and how it's translating into the relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And re-trauma- right? like you have re-traumatizing to her. Yeah. Yes. You have to really get that in order to deal with it. So. For her, I feel like the path is the path of most women that I work with, which is that long, laborious, hard work of pulling apart the way she feels about her body and understanding how it's meant how how the cultural beauty and body ideals are like mentally and emotionally and physically affecting her. It's like this whole breakdown process and then a rebuild process. And in the in the in the process of that process the relationship with food tends to settle down or it's also worked into the process right mm-hmm. and and that's big work that is big work and the one thing i'll say about that work is that when i'm working with women who happen to have like a mom or a mother-in-law or a sibling or a partner who's not into the work while they're doing it a question that often comes up is like how do i get them on board with this like how do i convince them and my number one advice is always you can't and you don't right now like all of your energy needs to go into you. And we are tearing down the structure. And right now we've put up like a popsicle frame and anyone coming into this can easily break this apart or blow mm-hmm. it down. And it's like, we need, you need time to like stack some bricks and like put in some. I don't, I don't know about building. So I don't know why I'm using this metaphor, but like, you know, to it. like lay a concrete. You need to like put in some insulation. You need to solidify this structure for yourself before you can ever approach it with someone else. And I feel like from the letter, I mean, it would be interesting to see what you think, but it seems like they're in a place of kind of like neutral cohabitation where that could actually happen. Like they're not fighting about it anymore. Mm -hmm. They seem to both be happy to be parents living side by side for the moment. So it's almost like you just need to go into your corners and do your own work for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's possible, but I think that that's like the first step for her. And then for me, the second step would be when she gets to a place of just even moderate neutrality is um, beginning to approach this idea of desirability and sensuality and what that means for her and what that looks like for her. And how can she reclaim that for herself? Like, not with respect to male gaze, which often when I start to approach this with women, they're just like, I don't even know what you mean. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Like, they have no idea what sexy is unless it's like a lingerie ad or, you know, it's always with respect to male gaze or partner gaze, I guess. But often with male gaze, even mm-hmm. with all genders and sexual orientation, it's often like has been defined by male gaze. By the patriarch. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so, at this point, I tend to refer women to Regina Tomaschauer's work, Mama Gina. And she runs, she's very eccentric and she's a thought leader when it comes to femininity and desirability um, and all of the things that women get from from feeling desirable, not just with relation to sex, but like as a human woman, the, the idea that we have this well of energy and creativity and spark within us that gets dampened when we feel like we aren't desirable and we can't desire things as a result. Um and she's written this this totally incredible book called Pussy which tends to shock people but she's just using the word to grab attention and to reclaim this idea of femininity and 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 desirability and sensuality from a female perspective, right?
0: Right. I love that. And you know, we have something on this podcast called The Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're new to the Love Food Podcast, it's this collection of books and podcasts and videos and anything under the sun that we have collected along the way that help promote this healing process. And I would love to add that to it first and foremost, because that has not been on there yet. And I think we need more tools in that way. Like what you're describing, because um, this person explicitly basically was asking, like, how do I get my partner to buy into this? And what you're saying is that's not necessarily the first way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got to love you first. Like, Do your work and decide how you are desirable And then, um, I don't know, then it's like, then see what happens. (laughs) I don't know if you have a next step after that.
1: And I would also say that like within the body positive conversation and world, there's often this very big pushback against like needing to be sexy or blah, blah, blah. And I totally agree with that. I think like, again, you're an adult and you get to decide if this is something you want to care about or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like we pull apart the structure and then as we rebuild, you get to decide what you want to invite back in or not. But many of the women I would say most of the women that I work with do actually genuinely care about this. Mm-hmm. And they do want to feel that feeling of feeling just enjoyment and and that spark that comes from feeling really good in the skin you're in. And like you said, I mean, people will notice their bodies don't change and they'll report back. I had dinner with a friend and she's like, you just seem different. Mm-hmm. You seem like a different person right now. Right. And And it has nothing to do with looks and it has everything to do with how they feel. So you're right. It's like, it would be super interesting to see. And this work takes time, you know, not minimizing it. But it would be so interesting to see how her husband responds to her from that alone. Even if he didn't do this next path of work, which I believe he has to do. But like, it would just be cool to see if he feels different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or if she even needs that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. Because if you can get it without the male gaze being a part of it, you know, um, it may be filling a need. And it's not that a person doesn't need support or partners, but it's just different. And I feel like it's more um, about your own personal uh, wholeness instead
1: of getting it from somewhere else. I went to an event with Mama Gina in New York a couple of years ago, and she gave a great example of this idea of like, you know, you don't have a boyfriend for ages and no one seems interested in you. And then all of a sudden one person's interested in you and you allow yourself, because they've like given you permission to have access to these feelings, you have all of these feelings. And then all of a sudden all kinds of people are coming out of the woodwork because you have this like magnetic energy Mm -hmm. and you feel vibrant and alive and magnetic. And her whole point is you have access to those feelings all the time. You just need to learn how to cultivate them for yourself Mm -hmm. without needing someone to give you permission. Right, well, so-
0: What about the, the, this letter writer's partner? What are you thinking the work needs? What needs to happen there?
1: Okay. And I would love for you to weigh in because this is definitely, I'm going like a little bit out of my, um, like my area of specialty, but I just want to speak to it because I think it's major. I think that what the husband is showing is the cultural belief that the way that we feel about beauty and bodies and desirability is fixed and rigid. And he's just like, this is a fact. I am not attracted to someone who's overweight. But the, the fact of the matter is he wasn't born feeling that way. And there is a major sort of like debate at times about nature versus nurture when it comes to desirability. But the fact of the matter is we tend to highly override or invalidate how much of the belief system that we have about what's attractive has to do with the image of desirability that's been fed to us from day one. And the, the idea that like, it isn't actually a factor rigid and you weren't born believing it, you you learned it. And if you learned it, the bottom line is you can unlearn it. Totally agree. Totally. If you want to. Yes. If you want to, right? Like there are cultures just today, all over the world, that think it's beautiful to have like scarring on the body or elongated necks mm-hmm. or stretched out earlobes. Like those are signs of attractiveness that within our culture we don't necessarily see or value. Mm-hmm. But that's What's been taught to them. So this guy is in a place, and this is the one thing where I feel like, did the therapist challenge that, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the therapist doesn't fully get it, then they wouldn't have this this idea that it's a fact that he does not find people who are overweight attractive.
0: I I totally agree. And actually, when I read the letter the first time, I I read it incorrectly because the person mentions a quick search on the internet shows there are thousands of men out there just like him. I thought at first the person was saying the opposite because right. I'm like, there are thousands of people more than that, probably that are attracted to people and larger bodies. Like there are people of size who are um, desirable and having lots of sex and um, feeling at home in their body, you know, and, and uh, people totally. are attracted to them And so I'm like, that is not a fixed idea that, um, you know so so many people agree with him well they they've all been socialized to think that way and i do right. think it's flexible it's a very like plastic kind of uh, that, experience you know we can yeah, change that for sure
1: yeah to me that's like a piece of toxic masculine masculinity mm-hmm. right believe that you only desire one specific kind of body and i think that human beings in general enjoy variety mm-hmm. and so it's just completely irrational to think that when it comes to bodies we would only desire. And now I understand that he's an individual, but at the same time, again, um, there's more, the other side of it is that there's just so much more to desirability than physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And they clearly have had the chemistry and the alchemy before that's why they ended up together. And so, um, you know, there's lots of stories of, of people falling into ruts with their partners because of job loss, financial issues. Um, Traumatic events, whatever it happens to be, and they find ways to work through it. And I just feel like weight is no different. We seem, we tend to approach it like it is different, like it's a fixed thing. I just don't believe it is.
0: Yeah, because culturally it's different than, you know, a financial crisis or something like that. Yeah. And, yes. um, yeah, yeah. And it's, um, bigoted, you know, that's yes. <laughs> so
1: it's different right. in that way. That's because super it's like helpful. Her fault, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, this is your fault. And if you could just fix it. And so I think he needs, um, to expand his ability to find and see beauty. He needs Mm -hmm. to find that flexibility that we're encouraging women to do. Well, guess what? You have to do the work too. Yeah. You know, like you need to do the work. You need to do the work to understand weight and this reactive behavior that his partner is in and why she's in it and how he's contributing to it. You know, so he basically needs a whole re-education in this area as well.
0: Totally. And I hope that happens. I feel like that would be such a way to like, help this person, you know, through and through. And, oh, I mean, I feel like we could talk forever on this because I think there's so many different variables and, um, and in the nature of time. I'm wondering, you know, that food piece syllabus thing I mentioned, I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to add to it besides that fabulous book that you mentioned. (laughs)
1: Well, one of the things that I mentioned, um, or or I, sorry, I didn't mention, but I also have a podcast, which is quite, it's a little bit different from yours and that I sort of tackle specific issues and it's the food freedom body love podcast. And it uh, the whole first seven episodes are actually a masterclass in body image and beauty and beauty ideals. And I feel like that so many women find that incredibly helpful to listen to, especially around topics like this. Um, and then I also have a self-study course for working through some of the more basic, not basic, I shouldn't say basic, but the more fundamental aspects of this work.
0: Kind of something to get started. Yes. Okay. Yes, Fabulous. Well, I'll put links to all those in the show notes. And if someone wants to know more about your work, is there a website that's handy that you feel like is the best way to to find out more about you? Absolutely. www.foodfreedombodylove.com. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Jillian. You know, it was so nice talking and getting to know you and your work and your perspective. I think, um, the letter writer and anyone listening who can relate is going to find some really important next kind of steps from this conversation. So I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. So there you have it, letter writer. I hope you found that helpful. I hope Dr. Jillian Murphy's words were giving you just some other options. Cause again, I, I see you at this sort of fork in the road. And I hope you have the informed consent that you need to move forward and to make the best decision for you and your life ahead. I see food is written back, but before we get to food, this episode of a Love Food podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. You can make peace with food, even with PCOS, and I want to show you how. You can get all the information at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. Also, be sure to check out Third Wield, a social media advocacy platform that raises awareness of eating disorders and LGBTQ communities. Get to their website at thirdwield.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you left me a rating review, you shared the episode or subscribe. Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow. All right, enough of all that. Let's hear what food has to say. And until next time, take care. Dear Trying to Heal Without Support, We've been through so much together, and we're glad you're trying to heal our relationship. From early on, you were trained and tricked to believe your body is something to look at, that your value came from your desirability. You are robbed of internal self-worth, self-love, and self-desirability. We are hopeful watching you move forward and we notice your fear, that if you heal, you won't be desirable anymore. Our plea to you, please know you are desirable and worthy because you are. You are alive. You are human. Hold all these truths together like a bouquet of flowers. See and sense their beauty and hold them with the care, the nurturing, and compassion they've been longing for. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast.
1: Take care.